All right, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week I have my, we'll call him my co-host and my host, or my guest and my host. That'd be John Betty with Stealth Tackle, because Brad's MIA. I sent him a few texts about guests, and I didn't get any replies. So here we are flying solo, which is fine. John was on my list anyway, so I just went to John. I know that uh, you know sometimes with the when John comes on we talk leaders, but John's been doing a lot of fishing, so John's actually got some fishing knowledge, experience to bring to the table. He's been, you know, John, you've been traveling, you've been getting some some time on the water. You still been getting well, your you still been getting your orders done. I'm not trying to say that stealth tackle is slacking <laughs> off, but you've been trying to take advantage of some some time on the water, which is something I haven't done yet much of. So let's straighten that out. The guy who's probably doing it, I'm just guessing doing a lot of fishing is the disappearing uh co-host of yours i've done some fishing but not a lot of fishing i would stop short of calling it a lot well i tell you what i'll give you brad's paycheck for the week and then we'll, we'll call it even <laughs> now we're talking <laughs> yeah exactly i mean it's a big one we gotta pay brad a lot of money to get I, him on this I've show i've heard he, he brags about that yeah he should you i know. mean we're we're probably at least paying for well, I'm trying to think. A couple of uh, gumballs and stuff like that. That's probably what we're paying for every month. So he's going to miss <laughs> there those. Go. Yeah, he's going to yeah. miss those. All right. Well, since I, I'm, we're going to skip right into it. We're not going to do any intro aside from if you are looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventure, you should check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And even though Brad and Carrie aren't here, we'll have you check out MuskyMayhemTackle.com. Although, quite honestly, I can't really give Carrie too much of a hard time. I just shot right into this. I didn't even send her a text to see if she wanted to come on. So, uh, Carrie, if you do listen, which I th- don't think you do, I apologize for not getting in touch with you. Uh, time's running short, and we sort of need to get an episode out this week since we haven't missed in, uh, let's see here, I think we're in like episode 181. So I wasn't going to let okay. Brad's fishing adventures this summer change that. So here we are. And we got a good lineup of stuff here, John. We, we You know, you've been on Lake of the Woods, and... A lot of our customers have been heading there. I mean, I'm getting emails, you know, daily saying like, hey, if I put an order in today, will I have it for, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever it would be. And because I'm heading to Canada. So obviously there's a good number of people there. So let's talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that. What's going on with Lake of the Woods since you got back from Lake of the Woods, what, like a week ago, probably? Uh, Probably two, two and a half weeks ago, we were up there and... You know, one of the big topics, of course, this summer has been uh, the high water they've been experiencing. And I see it, you know, pretty constantly where people are worried that are going up there about the water being up. You know, it's not just up a, a foot or two, it's up four or five feet. And it's actually, from the time I was there in, in early June, before musky season opened on a uh, walleye trip, it's actually come up a little bit higher when we went back in July. So it's been a concern for people, but I found that uh, if you just fish it and kind of the same way you do, but up a little tighter, you pretty much are going to accomplish the same thing. And also one of the things we discovered is the fish are still located as well. on the stuff that's no longer uptight to the shore, but they're still relating to that. So you still want to make sure you're fishing that stuff that's maybe a little bit further out. It used to be the shoreline, but now the shoreline is obviously it's five foot deeper. So a lot of cases it's back in the trees. Kind of like fishing, you know, cave run in, uh, in, in like March, right? High, high water, high water. Yeah, exactly. You know, those guys are used to it down there. So, you know, for guys 
from the South going up there, it's probably no big deal. But yeah, I mean, it, it was a little different, but you know, fishing wise, the fish are still there. The fish are still relating to a lot of the same structure as well as, you know, they are pushing up a little bit shallower. We got up there and, and one of our typical patterns for the summer bite is pretty much in line with probably most anybody going up there and that's bucktails. We were not contacting as many fish when we first arrived out of the gate. So we did a little switch it up and pretty much had immediate success throwing uh, smaller crankbaits and pretty much abusing them. I know there's a couple of my friends that make them that don't want to hear that, but they held up quite well. Basically making contact with the rocks that were maybe a little bit deeper where those fish were still holding, but that water, instead of it being a foot deep, is four or five feet deep. So we would make contact with the crankbait in the rocks. Fish would come immediately after we made contact with the rock structure. So we had a lot of success doing that through the week. You know, I hear a lot about, you know, fish hitting at the boat on the figure eight. Was that with the higher water, did that change anything? Or did those fish pretty much act like you typically would expect them to act? Uh, for us, it was a little different. We had very few follows. And I think we only had one fish actually hit out of figure eight. So we were seeing less fish, but we were having fish hit out further from the boat more so than we usually do. So I know you have a lot of experience with it. I mean, with the high water, did it take you a, a while to adjust or were you able to make a quick adjustment, find these fish and, and have like what I would say would be like, yeah, you know, a, a normal consistent bite throughout the course of the week? We, uh, we pretty much, uh, we, we adapted pretty, pretty quickly. One of the nights I go to Young's Wilderness Camp out of Nestor Falls, which is the far east end of Lake of the Woods out of Stevens Bay, up in that area. And, and Harry, who runs the camp, and, and one of his guides, Jake, obviously, they're on the water a lot. So they kind of dialed us into what the fish were doing when we got there, which they do for all of their guests. We're nobody special. You know, we kind of had an idea of what we needed to do ahead of time. And, you know, thanks to them, we probably abandoned the the uh, the bucktail thing a little sooner than maybe we would have because the, the crankbait thing just seemed to be working. So we gave it a fair shot. We had pretty much almost immediate success once we started doing it. So it was hard to hard to change it up from there. You know, is it uh, the crankbait thing? So was that a, you know, more of a shad-based type crankbaits? Or are you looking at more like, you know, longer minnow baits, like the 7-inch slammers or grandma-type style baits or jakes or, you know, things like that? Yes. <laughs> okay. It, it was, it was uh, you know, uh, the, the slammers and uh, the one that was the really shined for us were the boss shads. It was as long as you had a lip to get it down to make contact with the rocks, you know, that was when you were getting the strike after that. So it didn't seem to matter if what, you know, middle bait or smaller shad size bait, it, it really didn't seem, you know, we caught them on both. It didn't uh, seem one way or the other. I probably caught more fish on the boss shad because I probably used the boss shad a little bit more. We did move some fish on top waters. And I think we only had one fish strike top water. So for us, the top water that usually happened wasn't happening this year for us. So kind of ruled that out with the exception of real low light, you know, before we headed in at night. Yeah, it was for us, it was uh, driving those crankbaits into the rocks. 
So the old self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You, you use a Bosch ad 90% of the time, you're going to catch 90% of your fish <laughs> yeah. in a Bosch ad, right? Right. And, you know, that's, and that's also a bait. A lot of people that, you know, you start to think a wood bait, you know, plastic lip, they're not going to hold up well. I, those baits really held up well for us. Just to give Paul a, a plug that I set up a couple pictures of a week of throwing those baits up against the rocks. I mean, we pretty much abused them. And they held up fine. So, you know, a little a few scrapes and digs out of the paint and that. But uh, we really, uh, really put the test to them with banging with against those rocks, and they held up great. You know, shameless promotion. If you're looking for crankbaits, oddly enough, or you know, I, we didn't. I didn't even pay John to say this. We did get a, a <laughs> new uh, a, a new batch of Bosch ads, the uh, four and a half. So we just got that today. In fact, I just put it online about a half hour ago. So we do have them, as we do a yeah. whole pile of other crankbaits that you would want to to uh, you know beat up on on the rocks. And keep in mind, there will occasionally be casualties when you're doing this with uh, with rocks. Absolutely. You know, most yeah, crank- we're abusing this stuff. Yeah, I mean, we're doing stuff that that we really shouldn't, but we're hoping for a bite. You know, we're 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 taking into the the, the risk factor into consideration that hey, you know, we're probably not going to go home with as many baits as we came here with. We're either going to lose them, bust them, what have you. And it just didn't happen. But we were willing to risk that to get a strike. So, you know, give the take there. Sure, absolutely. But you, you, do, you do have to take into consideration if you're going to fish that way that not everything's coming home with you. You know, I have heard, though, that on Eagle Lake, it's the same. It, there's a similar pattern there, too, you know, banging rocks or banging, yeah, banging rocks with crankbaits. It's been working, you know, up there as well. It's just. Uh, okay. So I've yeah. heard, I've heard that as well. And so yeah. if you're, you know, going to Canadian waters, maybe if you're not finding fish on your typical patterns, you know, you're, you're throwing that bucktail in top water, you know, think about taking uh, John's advice and, and start banging some rocks. I, I mean, I've, uh, yeah. I think I actually need to start doing a little bit of that on just, you know, Northern Wisconsin waters too. That's not a tactic I use that often. And I've heard that it works up there as well. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense, you know, the, the water's higher, so you know, your bucktails are running more on the surface. Now there's, you know, absolutely no reason a muskie won't go from five foot to the top in a swipe of the tail without thinking about it. But if the fish are a little lazier or not interested, you want to put that lure right in front of their face. And we just felt like with that higher water that we were going to have that lure, those lures down in front of the fish more. And that seemed to make a difference. And like I said, it was it was almost a, a reaction strike type of thing because we just weren't getting that many fouls that we usually see when we're up there for for the week. A couple things, John. I want to talk about. Let's uh, let's talk about. I want to talk about navigation for one. So, with the higher mm-hmm. water, is it easier to navigate, harder to navigate, or about the same to navigate up there in Lake of the Woods? I felt like it was it's. If you're going to put high water versus low water, I think high water is easier because even though stuff that was normally out of the water is now underwater, you know where that's at, or you have it on your on your map chips. Hopefully, everybody's running running a good map chip, but so you you stay off of that stuff when you're running. Uh, versus low water, you find all kinds of stuff that maybe gets uncovered that you didn't know was there or that you were able to run over before. So I actually would, if, if I had my choice high versus low, I'd prefer the high. So it's just from a, from a boating standpoint, 
course, we were up there the week of some pretty nasty storms and power outages, so there was a lot of floating debris. And if if anybody is heading up there, I would use caution out on the water at least you know the first day or two because there was way way more floating debris in the lake that I'd ever seen up there, which was directly related to a lot of storms with a lot of downed trees and everything like that. So uh, use a little bit of caution getting up there out on the water for, for the first day or two. And now the next thing I want to talk about, John, for, for those of you who don't know, I, I believe I said in the beginning, John's the owner of Stealth Tackle. He makes what we'll call like a premium brand of leaders. Probably, in my opinion, they're they're the only brand that you need. But anyway, so we can't possibly, you know, have a conversation with John without talking, you know, something to do with leaders and, and things like that. And, you know, sometimes, John, that stuff gets kind of boring, but it's also very o- often overlooked and very important. But let's talk. Sure. Okay, so you're banging these these crankbaits into, into rocks. Are you using wire? Are you using floral? Are you using snaps? Are you using split rings? What's the story there? And and why don't you give me, you know, a little bit of lowdown for some sure. of the listeners on what the what's the disadvantages and benefits of each because they all have a time and place. Yeah, with being in contact with with so much structure, I pretty much switched over to solid wire. It's it's just going to put up with the most abuse. You're going to get some beds in them and and kinks in them. So you you know you can straighten them a little bit, or if you got to do it too many times, you want to switch it out. With the fluorocarbon coming in contact with so many of those rocks that are real sharp edges, I just prefer to stay away from doing from using the floral. I just think that you're you know you're going to have better odds of not getting uh, not only bit off, but the leader is going to get not get as get damaged to where you don't see a nick or something like that. And then when a fish does hit it, and it winds up cutting you off and you're sitting there with no bait and no fish. So the wire is definitely going to gonna hold up better to all the abuse we're putting it through. And, you know, if we're talking about a plug, I'll tell you the, the solid wire, 174-pound test, solid wire is pretty much the four-wheel drive of our leaders. I mean, you could, you could put that stuff through just about any abuse you need to, and it's, it's going to hold up pre- pretty darn good. And then the other thing that I do with all my lures, and I pretty much got to the point where I'm doing it, whether I'm fishing down here in Wisconsin or Indiana, where I fish a lot of open water, I've just gotten into the habit of eliminating snaps altogether and going to a solid rig split rig connection. And once you give it some time and, and you start doing it, you find that you're able to change baits pretty quick as long as you have a pair of split rig pliers handy. You can do it pretty quick without even thinking twice about it. So uh, it's it's a good thing to get in the habit of doing it or using those solid ring to split ring connection. You know, the drawback is you got to make sure every bait has a split ring on it and you got to have a pair of split ring pliers close by. But again, you know, not to knock the, the stay lock snaps at all. They're still a good snap. It's just that extra added security. And the way we were fishing up in Canada, we were making constant contact. We felt with that solid ring to split ring connection, we don't have to worry about a snap opening up or getting wedged in a rock or something where it's going to pop or uh, split or anything like that. So it's just the, the, the better way to go, I think, for, for that type of fishing. You know, it seems like more and more, I, I mean, in a lot of the guides that I've fished with, when we used to film YouTube stuff a lot, and I say used to because I just ran out of time, I haven't had, had a lot of time to do with it, I'd love to get back and do it. But anyways... 
most of them, you know, they're they're using split rings all the time. Or yeah, they're using mm-hmm. split rings all the time now. I mean, most of them aren't using right. snaps, and they haven't for a long time. I know, you know, Jeff Hansen is adamant about not using snaps. Well, yeah, and Jeff's one of the guys that kind of had me turn the corner on it. You know, I have the luxury of having a big pile of snaps here in the shop, so rarely am I going fishing without putting a new snap on one of my leaders. So I'm using a fresh snap almost every time out. Well, not everybody has that luxury. So over time, just from opening and closing, those snaps start to wear out. And if you're not really thinking about it or not conscious of it through a season, you know, you can wind up running into a problem eventually because they're, they're built under spring tension. Every time you open and close that, it gets a little bit weaker. So if you start feeling that thing getting easy to open and close, that's a good telltale sign you need to swap that snap out. And if you're looking, you know, if split rings are the things that you're going to end up going to change up to, I really recommend going to John's website and picking up, uh, I'll probably pronounce it wrong, it's like Xeron or whatever. It starts with an X. It's the yep. blue hand, split ring players. Yep. The blue split ring players. Those are the best. Unfortunately, I don't have them on my website yet. I would love to at some point. We do carry one from Baker, but, you know, quite honestly, if you're going to be changing baits and fairly often, I would really, re- you know, just go to John's website get the zero on the blue handle one and just forget about it. They're on They're They're easily the best one in the market that I've found. And I've been through a handful of them. And, I, and I'll also say that the bright blue handle on them is very helpful when you get older like me and you're looking around the boat, trying to figure out where you set the split ring pliers last, because wherever you set them down, you're usually standing in a different spot or a different direction than the next time you need them. So I swear they get up and move in your boat. But what I do is I keep a set on the front deck, a set on the back deck, and a, and a set on the council. And that's just because I be. I know, you know, vision's not as good as it used to be, and memory isn't as good as it used to be. So I know that I always got a pair in one of those three spots, you know, to change out a lure. I mean, that sounds about right. I usually have multiple split ring players. I usually have multiple hook files and I usually have, mm-hmm. you know, multiple, um, needle nose players laying around my boat at various times. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So John, we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, steel. The one thing I had a question on, and it seems like it's gaining more popularity is 49 strand leaders. It seems like when you and I first, you know, when I first started carrying your products, it's like if I ordered 10 packs of 49 strand for the season, I was set. And mm-hmm. now I'm ordering ordering them in higher numbers much more frequently. Can, yeah. can you answer mm-hmm. that to me? Are you, is that a trend you're seeing across the board? Yeah, it, it is. That It's, you know, the seven strand leader, which is the stranded wire leader that's been most popular forever, right? Seven strand leaders were around when I was a kid and started musky fishing. You know, you had two options. You had a solid wire leader and you had a seven strand leader. That was pretty much it. Uh, the 49 strand or, or multi-strand that's come out, oh, um, it, it's, you know, been more than a couple of years now, but they've really come a long way with the technology of that. And they're able to use thinner wire and more strands of it. And they wind it together a little bit tighter. So thus, you know, a seven strand leader is exactly what we just called it. It's seven strands of wire that are woven together. A 49 strand is basically 49 strands of wire or seven, seven strand wire leaders and they're wound together. Now, the difference is, is that the 49 strand, they're using thinner strands of wire. It's not as thick and as heavy as you're thinking. 
And for whatever reason, since they're using that downsized wire, it makes the leader a lot more flexible. So what a lot of guys are doing with that 49 strand is they're using it because they like the action that a fluorocarbon leader gives, say, their rubber baits, like their bulldogs and that. And so they they like the action of the floral, but they're, they, they're worried about a headshot and maybe a fish biting off the fluorocarbon, especially later in the year, in the fall, when we guys like, especially the guys going to the Great Lakes or throwing the big pounders, those fish are headshotting those lures because it's a larger profile lure, and a lot of them are getting the whole leader in the mouth. So the 49 strand gives you the, the strength of wire, and it's not going to, it's going to hold up to abrasion resistance a little bit better than fluorocarbon is. And that's where I see a lot of guys using it. It also vertical jigging, as you know, has gotten more and more popular through the past couple of years, uh, especially with, with the electronics going the direction it has, which is controversial that we don't want to talk about, but vertical jigging is getting more and more popular. And that 49 strand is a great leader for vertical jiggy because of its flexibility the hooks don't hang up as easy as they would on a straight wire and if you're doing a lot of jigging in a river system or something where there's a lot of heavy current or a lot of debris it's going to hold up and it's going to last longer than a fluorocarbon leader would and again if the fish come over the top to hit it on the fall they're grabbing wire instead of fluorocarbon so your odds of getting bit off are going to be minimized as well as you know the fact that i'm not trying to knock fluorocarbon you know if you're using a big heavy fluorocarbon leader the odds of getting bit off are going to be pretty slim i mean let's face it i mean if you're using over 130 pound to 200 pound fluorocarbon it can happen but the odds of it happening are pretty slim it's pretty durable stuff but the problem is that stuff is very thick in diameter whereas the wire is a lot thinner so when you're vertical jigging and you need that bait to rise and fall with current coming against it, there's no resistance from the leader. Right. And like you said, the diameter on that 49 strand is pretty thin, so it's not real big bulky stuff. I mean, if, like you said, if you're throwing a bunch of rubber, you're not concerned about the, uh, you know, visibility properties that you'd get with it. It's, uh, it's definitely a good option. Definitely something for, sure. for people to consider, especially if you have any concerns about being bit off. I know how many... Right. Of the 130 pound fluorocarbon liters that we sell in a season, and it, you know, I knock on wood, but I don't want to have that that sound here in this podcast. I try to keep it as clean as we can, but I I don't know if I've seen one yet. So, anyways, that's just right. You know, yeah. But if you have any concerns, and some anglers do, that's why some people are using split that's, rings and some are using snaps. Everybody's got their own exactly. opinion on things. You know, a lot of it's personal preference. I, I'll through the show season when guys come at the booth and they're, and they're asking about stuff or they're telling me different situations that they're in, I'm never going to tell somebody that they're using the wrong application. A lot of it comes down to what we're comfortable using as well as what we have confidence in using. So for me to sit there and go, Oh, you shouldn't be using that leader. Hey, what, what do I know? If you're, if you're having success with what you're using, you, you stick with it, but you also want to educate yourself and know, that I can't throw or shouldn't throw a double ten with an eighty pound fluorocarbon leader or a mag dog with an eighty pound fluorocarbon leader. That's just you're you're asking for trouble. If you're gonna use fluorocarbon, you've got to accept the fact that 
you need to be taking it upon yourself to constantly inspect that leader, whether you're just running your fingers over it, feeling for burrs. After every fish you catch, you should be checking it out, making sure if you're getting hung up in any rocks. You know, you need to, as, as anglers, we need to take some of that responsibility on ourselves as well and make sure we're doing everything we possibly can to prevent anything from going wrong or losing a fish or losing a lure. So, you know, there is that aspect of it as well. You know, John, as we go through a podcast, I typically make notes. And so far, I've made a couple of notes. You talked about electronics and show season. You know what? You, you, you mentioned both of them. Why don't we just start talking about uh, religion no. and politics while we're at it? I mean, let's just go there, right? <laughs> well, you know, you're, I'm the last minute co-host, so this is what you get. You know, I mean, <laughs> you blame your partner for that. But I don't, I, don't, I don't want to go into either. And I definitely don't want to go into religion, politics, and I'll throw sports in there, too. So all my sports teams stink right now anyway, so. I definitely don't want to talk sports. You know, it just seems like lately I can't talk to you without you mentioning show season. It's like you're excited <laughs> for it to be here. Well, you know, it's, it is the one time of year we get to see a lot of our customers and a lot of our friends. So it, it does get to be a grind when you're on the road every weekend and you wake up in the morning and you can't remember what, what town you're in. But uh, that part of it I'm not looking forward to. But I have had a couple of conversations already with a couple of different show promoters. and. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, people don't realize how soon that, that stuff has to start up for those of us with companies and, and the guys that run those shows to get things in place and, and going. I mean, unfortunately, it's, or fortunately, it's something that in the dead of the season is already on, you know, a lot of our minds. All right. Well, how about that November election coming up? <laughs> don't know nothing about it. Don't want to know nothing about that. So this is what you get. See, again, last minute co-host, you know, you got to, you know, beggars can't be choosers. I was just going to say that beggars can't be choosers. I guess I got to take what I can get. So anyway, that's right. You're making your notes. Don't call John the next time Brad is out on the water. Oh, wait, Brad's not out on the water. He's just not answering his phone. Uh, I bet you he's out on the water. I think he's he's into that TV show thing these days, which is it's yeah. cool, you know. It's, I, hey, my, hat, my hat's off to him, right? I, yeah, I, I've tried to, to throw that to my wife that I need to, I need to fish more. I got to be out on the water because I got I to gotta get videos. She doesn't buy it. So God bless Carrie for... Uh, putting up with that and cranking out all those orders while while he's out playing yeah absolutely i mean talk about <laughs> talk about hitting the jackpot and he's living the dream there's no doubt about that <laughs> that's <laughs> right we could say that because he's not here so right. my wife keeps telling me that all the time though she's like we really need to figure out a way to get you out on the water more we need to figure out a way to get you out on the water more and it's it's it, it hasn't happened a, a lot yet <laughs> but good luck but hey i figured out one way and that was I took my wife with me up to Canada this year, but that was, I didn't take her muskie fishing because I didn't want to put her through that. Although we did catch a few incidental uh, muskies while we were walleye and pike fishing, but that was one way for me to get more time on the water. Take her with. Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll think about that. There All right. Go. So John, when you were up in Canada, did you do any trolling when you were up there? We made an attempt at it and failed. So we scrapped that pretty quick. That's nice. So, so far what I'm gathering out of my last couple guests is there's very little attempt at catching fish trolling lately. I was, I tried to have a conversation with Steve last week about that and it was like, nope, haven't done it. Feeling good. No trolling. <laughs> like, All right. Well, that's, I, not, that's not going to fill any time. It, it wasn't because I didn't want to, and it wasn't because I didn't want to. I, I wished it would have worked because 
I mean, one thing about if you know me and you know about me going to Canada, I don't fish the 12 or 14 hour days like I used to. I, I can't. My body just physically won't allow me to do it. So I would have loved for there to have been a trolling bite where I could have sat on my butt a little bit more and drove around and said I was fishing. That would have been awesome. It didn't happen. So we scrapped the uh, musky trolling and we did our midday uh, uh, walleye and smallmouth bass fishing, which nobody cares about. Well, let's talk a little bit about this. I know we didn't want to talk necessarily electronics and whether or not you think it, mm-hmm. it should or shouldn't be used in tournaments, but I know you have the Panoptics live scope set, you know, set up. Did you get a chance to play with that th- so far this year? What? Not too much. I was gonna I, say, and I, if you did, you know, what what do you think of it? Well, it's. I'll say what I I said when I first. I, I think I got mine the first. What it came out one season. I got mine the following winter, and the first time I used it out in the boat, I said to the. I don't even remember who I was fishing with, but I said, "Oh look, there's a muskie. Oh, there's a muskie." And I just said, this is going to be very dangerous to the fishery. And I use it. I'm not saying one way or another whether I think guys should be able to use it in tournaments. or Well, I guess I got mixed feelings about it as far as using it in a tournament. I use it mostly walleye fishing or perch fishing on Lake Michigan. It really helps us put a lot more fish in the boat. I also use it more in my boat musky fishing late in the fall when we're sucker fishing more than I use it any other time of year. You know, for casting, I haven't, I haven't really utilized it the way some guys do where they're scouting and then going, okay, there's a fish. Let's cast at it. I I don't, when I go fishing, I want to fish. I don't want to drive my boat around. So casting wise, I, I use it, but it's not, as critical for me because it lets me know there's a fish coming two or three seconds before I'm visually going to know there's a fish coming or I'll know I have a deep follow so I know to figure eight because I can't see it but the pan optics is telling me that there's a fish down there so from that aspect it's helpful I'm not a fan of if I get an opportunity to go fish for a day I want to fish I don't want to like I said drive my boat around scouting you know to me, that's just not enjoying fishing. I do hope that I get a chance to use it this year for sucker fishing. I do think it would be a really cool tool for sucker fishing. In a, it, in, it is, and, and it's it's a money saver, too, I can tell you. Well, <laughs> that's a double-edged sword because it's expensive equipment. <laughs> but So you're going to spend the money on it, but the, the thing is is that we've had plenty of uh, of times where we're out sucker fishing and you'll see a fish come up to your sucker and realize that, you know, you can tell how big the fish are or get a good ballpark real close. And you realize that that fish that's about to eat your sucker is twice the size of your sucker. And so you really don't want to deal with that. So you get the sucker away from the fish as fast as you can. And thus basically we're saving money on our suckers, which have I'll exaggerate, but they're getting as expensive as electronics these days. <laughs> I'll use that. So if, if you're listening and you're looking to sell this one to your your uh, significant other, all you have to do is just say, "We need to inject. We need we need to invest three thousand dollars in electronics." And I I don't know if they're three thousand or not, but I'm assuming for the whole system yeah. with a with a graph, it's probably roughly there. We need to do I that. You're in the ballpark. Yeah. So we can save ourselves 
fifteen dollars on a couple of suckers a season. <laughs> exactly, that's it. It's an easy. It should be an easy sell. I mean, it, there you go. It seems logical. So in about you know. Yeah. 712 seasons will have this thing paid off. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and for as much as I get out fishing, yeah, it's going to save me, you know, you spend 3000 to save 30 a year. So, yeah, that's going to take me quite a few years to to uh, make my money back on that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've got mixed feelings about it. I, I could see, you know, it is, they are a, another tool for helping catch fish. You can argue two different ways on the whole tournament thing. You know, I don't fish very many tournaments at all. So, you know, it's kind of a non-factor for me because with everything that's been going on recently without diving into all of that, I don't really have an opinion about that because I don't fish it. So therefore, whatever decisions get made, they really don't alter me or what I'm doing. So I don't care. Right. I understand that. Yep. Yeah. Yes, make sure you subscribe to the podcast for more money-saving tips. We're all about helping yes. you save money by making you buy $3,000 electronics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want financial advice from us. No. <laughs> okay, so, John, it's been a little while since we've had you on the podcast, and, and we, you know, let's talk a little bit about a couple of baits and try to do some uh, some leader applications. So if right. you're if you're casting a bucktail right now, let's just say it's a double ten, for example. What's gonna mm-hmm. be your what's gonna be your leader choice for that bait? If I'm a fan of fluorocarbon, I'm using a hundred and thirty to hundred and fifty pound fluorocarbon wire. I'm using either a hundred and seventy four to two hundred and forty pound twelve inch leader. And uh stranded wire, you could get away with well, I probably wouldn't go as light as a ninety pound seven strand wire but I would go like 135 pound seven strand or I would go to the uh, multi-strand uh, 49 strand uh, 175 pound. All right. And now if you're going to say twitch a crankbait, 8-inch jake, 10-inch jake, 7-inch slammer, 10-inch slammer, something like that, what are you going to be using? Pretty much solid wire. You could you could use fluorocarbon with that as well. Maybe down to 100 pound fluorocarbon. I like the solid wire because those baits, when you twitch them aggressively, you get the vibration out of it. You can feel it in your rod when you're, when you're ripping them or pulling them. And the wire being a thinner diameter is just going to cut through the water better than a fluorocarbon leader is. It's just going to make those lures work a lot better. If you're using smaller stuff, I would go down into our 124-pound uh, twitch bait leader. Uh, it is a lighter wire. It's more designed for the smaller stuff that you're going to use in the springtime, but a lot of guys will still use those lighter, smaller twitch baits. Just keep in mind that you're going to be changing those out a little bit more if you're getting getting hit because that, that lighter wire flexes a lot easier and bends easier. So you'll want to keep an eye on that and check it a little bit more often. So, But if you're using small shad-style crankbaits, like what we use with the boss sheds, 174 pound, 12 inch wire leader did not affect the action of those those smaller lures at all. And since I got you here, I can get this, you know, recorded. Am I ever going to see sing- solid wire 36 inch trolling leaders? Mm, you had to bring that up. I did. I had to bring it up and right we- here because that way <laughs> people know there's a chance this could happen. I've been wanting this to happen for like a year. 
Yeah, I know. Now you're putting me on the spot. See, this is why you have trouble getting quality co-hosts <laughs> and you wind up with me. <laughs> that's, People that's are just, afraid of you. That's just one of many reasons why we have, quality, have a hard time getting quality co-hosts. We, we are trying to get those out there and let's put a winter release on those this year because obviously when we started uh, talking about doing those, well, everybody else blames COVID. I'll blame COVID. You know, we did have supply issues getting getting wire, getting floral for a while. That's starting to come back. So as long as we can count on the supply coming back and we get them into the mix, I think by winter we should be able to uh, get something out there. And what Jeff's talking about are basically solid wire, log lake trolling leaders. And what those do is just, help with smaller lures what we were talking about you know with casting there's less resistance in the water so if you're using it for trolling the baits are getting a little bit deeper and they're getting a little bit better action because there's there's no resistance from the leader basically i've also heard and seen it i've seen it before like if if you're fishing dirtier water that wire will actually kind of like hum underneath the water. I've heard that. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. And we've ran tests on it in Green Bay before, and it seems like occasionally it might pick up an extra fish or two. If the water's pretty clear, it doesn't seem to matter too much. But if right. the water's yeah. a little bit dirtier, it just adds a little, bit of, a little bit of noise to it. Well, sure. Anything you do that adds vibration is going to create, you know, sound for these fish. Or their lateral line is going to pick that up. That theory has been tested and proven with the salmon guys so there there definitely is something to that you, you've got the the downrigger cables that you bit sound and, and can draw fish in as well as and i started dabbling with it with my salmon fishing out on lake michigan using uh using wire line uh so yeah there there that's not i i would have to say that that that's been pr- a proven theory yeah and I'm not trying to say that it's going to save your season. I mean, if you're out there trolling and you're like me and you haven't caught anything, don't think changing your leader is going to fix that. You, you know, there's there's probably a few other problems you got going on there, but you know, it yeah. can occasionally maybe get you a different bite or another bite That's, when things are tough. Exactly. It's just another, another tool that you could, that you could try or utilize. And like you said, if, you know, if it makes a difference in one extra bite or, or if it makes a difference in being the only bite you see in a day, you know, it, it could help, you know, there's, if the fish are aggressive, I don't think it makes that big of a difference because they're on the hunt, but when they're negative, I think it's, you need everything in your favor to, to try to provoke those fish to bite. And it's just a, a another thing to try out another, another reason to give them to come in and, and look at your lure. For sure. So let's talk a little bit about Suic lures. Or dive and rise lures. It doesn't really matter mm-hmm. which what you want to use. I mean, I use Suix because I I think about sure. them. You know, as, like they're the classic, right? But yep. if you're using and that, you know, and that's going to be something that's going to come into play if it hasn't already for a lot of anglers. Some people think it's just a fall bait. I I thought I I was under that same impression until you know a couple seasons back. I used it all year and I caught fish all year. But anyways, yep. if you're using a dive and rise style bait, what kind of leaders are you looking for? That I pretty much stick with uh, solid wire. And again, 174 pound. If it's the larger 10 inch, you could go up to the 240 pound because with the dive and rise, you're going pretty much one direction down and, you know, up and down, up and down. So if you're using a heavier leader, 
that is just going to help the bait get a little bit deeper. You're not as concerned with the side to side that you have out of a glider bait where you're worried about a swivel or the weight of the wire pulling it down. It's actually helping you out. The 174 or 240 pound wire, I do, if I'm using the seven inch Suix, I'll drop down to a nine inch, uh, 174 pound leader with a swivel on it. Just seems to work better with those, with those smaller ones. Otherwise I'm using a standard 12 inch, uh, wire. And another thing that people could use or utilize for those baits too, if you want to get them a little bit deeper and you don't like tinkering, drilling into your baits to put a weight kit in them, we have a weighted leader and they work real nice with Suix. The later into the year, the heavier you would use. So we got a half ounce, a three quarter ounce and a one ounce weighted leader. And like I said, as you get later in the fall and you want to get a little deeper, you would go up in size. The three quarter ounce is a really good middle of the road to use and pretty effective with uh, those nine and 10 inch Suix. It's uh, a little ironic that you, th- that you mentioned those weighted leaders because I was, when I was ordering my most recent order, I, I had a bunch of weighted leaders on there and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, every single summer I think about using those for, you know, to try to get a little more pause out of my dive and rise baits mm-hmm. and huh. I never end up using them, but I really do need to use them because I think they'd be fantastic for that. Yeah. Especially if you're trying to get deeper with them or keep them from, keep them from popping out, which, you know, they do if, if they're unweighted. You got to work this way. You can work them a little bit slower too. And they're not rising up as fast either. So they, they definitely, definitely work well with, with any of the Suix or the dive and rise style baits. And the weighted leaders are also great for uh, bucktails as well too. get, get your bucktails a little deeper. And we thought about doing that on our Canada trip was going to be go to a weighted leader so that our bucktails were running deeper in that higher water. But we had pretty instant success with the crankbaits. So it was kind of hard to, to get away from that but they do help with the bucktails as well all right john well i want to thank you for filling in admirably for brad i'll definitely make sure that we forward his paycheck to you this week <laughs> right obviously there's okay. many many places that you can find stealth tackle but if people want to buy direct right from you how do they go about doing that you can go to our website at stealthtackle.net. you don't see it on our website Get a hold of me, and we'll gladly help you try to build whatever it is you don't see on our website. And you know, I mean, you can if you're if you're already shopping with us, and you want to add your stealth tackle to your you know your your cart. We we have a probably I would say if not the biggest selection of stealth tackle aside from going direct to you, but it's got to be one of if it's not the biggest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think most of the. I probably would have to say that you have probably the biggest variety of a product out there with the exception of going direct to our website. All right. Well, John, I want to thank you again for you know coming on and, and uh, bailing Brad out this week. I'll have to try to find somebody to bail out Brad next week. I actually hope maybe <laughs> he's back, but I won't blame it all on Brad. Some of this is planning. We've been terrible planners this summer. Like literally... We got stuff going on, and we we haven't planned this out real well. I mean, literally, we have a week between every episode. You'd think that we would start thinking of guests and you know what we're going to do a little sooner than say like the Monday afternoon before we need to have one out. But well, that, yeah, got to you got to do what you got to do, and he's not here, so you could you get to blame him. So right. 
when he does the one by himself that he could blame you. <laughs> That's funny. I and if, asked, and I if, he, and if he calls that. me, if he calls me, then we'll talk about you. So, <laughs> yeah, we would have to get Brad to actually record a podcast before that could happen. I don't see that <laughs> happening anytime soon, but maybe. You're not running the equipment up to up to Minnesota for him. Uh, no, not exactly. <laughs> But oh, well. anyways, we hope that everybody's getting out on the water this summer. I mean, summer's flying by, but, you know, we're still only about a little over a third of the way through the muskie season. If you, in fact, you do have seasons. If you're a, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota native, you you have seasons you got to abide by. But uh, we want to thank you all for coming out and listening to another episode. And we'll catch everybody again next week, Wednesday. Thanks for listening to me. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, John. <laughs>